Well, this morning we are going to finish our discussion on the rapture question and specifically with regard uh, to its timing and that within the framework of premillennial theology or premillennial eschatology. And um, this morning I'm simply going to kind of give a running start, a little, little review to pick up into a couple of new passages, some primary texts that I want to add to the discussion and to our understanding as we're looking into this um, very interesting topic indeed. And so I realized whenever I had about, I don't know, 40 slides that getting it all in today is going to be difficult, and I've just told you this is the last one. So wherever I get today, whether I'm there or not, I'm wrapping it up on the, the, the rapture question this morning. And let me encourage you to continue to go back and look at these on the YouTube page. Um, over the last several weeks, you can slow down, you can pause it, you can go in like Bereans, and you can go into the scriptures and start digging and evaluating and creating uh, a, a, a more fuller understanding of the, the scriptures relative to these issues. So... Um, by way of review here for us this morning, perhaps you remember at the beginning, we, I dropped this, this uh, little chart for you that gives these four views of the timing of the rapture within premillennial theology. Now, lest I wrongly assume that we all understand what I mean when I say premillennial theology, see, these are just timings of the rapture, as you can see right here, the rapture and then the day of the Lord within the, the framework of a premillennial understanding of eschatology. So by premillennialism, what that simply means is the word pre, it's a, it's a prefix, before. So before, and then millennial, so premillennial. Millennial there is just talking about the millennial kingdom that's found in Revelation chapter 20. So all we're talking about is the timing of the rapture and the day of the Lord before, pre, before the millennial kingdom kicks in, which is going to be at the time of, Jesus' second return. So that's maybe framing for us a little bit on what I'm using these words that come out of seminary that sometimes are a little harder to understand in our context. But this is all premillennial theology is, is that it's a belief that Jesus will gather his church to himself in the clouds, followed sometime after by his second coming for the purpose of ushering in the age to come the beginning of which is described in the book of Revelation chapter 20 as a thousand-year reign of Christ. Thus, thousand years, that's a millennial, thousand, so it's a millennial reign, millennial kingdom, 1,000-year rule of Jesus Christ that we see in Revelation chapter 20. And it's a time period which is, which is preceded by an eternal state of righteousness and glory that will go on forever and ever and ever. So we're currently living in this age, and then there's the age to come, Jesus talks about. And in that age to come... That's, that begins with the second advent of Jesus Christ. It's the, and the first thousand years of that age to come is a thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus where there's going to be some interesting things that take place in that time frame. But then it's just ushered right into an eternal state uh, that, that lasts forever and ever and ever, as we saw in the book of Daniel. Okay, so premillennial theology. So the timing of the rapture, the day of the Lord... If it's a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or pre-wrath view, we see that uh, the connection here is that every one of these have the rapture and the day of the Lord together 
back-to-back uh, -back events, same-day events. And no matter where you fall in your understanding of the timing of the rapture question and the day of the Lord under premillennial theology, there is a lot of similarity in that there's a rapture that's followed by the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord, just discussing this briefly, is a time of God's um, unmitigated wrath that has poured out upon sinners on the earth in general, but most specifically, it's what uh, Jeremiah 30 refers to as the day of Israel's trouble, Jacob's trouble, Jacob's distress, where God's going to be pouring out and meeting out judgment on the nation of Israel for their uh, stiff-necked, stubborn heart, and rebelliousness against him for many millennials now. And so this is um, how these kind of connect. Now, one in particular, the pre-trib view, is distinguishable from the other three views in that the timing of the rapture and the day of the Lord, which again are together as in all the other views, pre-trib holds to an imminency doctrine, which simply means that the rapture can happen at any moment, like right now kind of any moment. Like we may not make it back to our houses any kind of moment. Can you say hallelujah, amen? It's all over and we're with the Lord. That would be beautiful, right? And so that's the eminence doctrine at, that pre-trib uh, teaches and holds to. And so you're always needing to be on the edge of your seat, always ready at any moment because that's when the Lord may return like a thief in the night. He could return and catch us up into the clouds. And so that's the one part that separates and distinguishes <coughs> premillennial, uh, pre-trib eschatology from over and against the others. Now, one of the things that, <coughs> excuse me, that we've looked at <coughs> um, over the last several weeks is this, this concept of Daniel's 70th week. And so if you remember, we finished chapter 9 in the book of Daniel, right? We finished chapter 9 in the very last verse of chapter 9 in the book of Daniel deals with the 70th week of Daniel, which is a seven-year period. It's the last of 77-year periods. And so this, that's why we took this uh, short excursus on the rapture timing following Daniel chapter 9, because it introduces for us that. And so this little graph right here, <clears throat> this marks the beginning of this last seven-year period, and this marks the end of it. And this is where we have the transition from the present age that goes this way and then the age to come that goes after this. So this is the point right here where no matter what position you hold to, if you're pre-mill, post-mill, all-mill, everybody has the second coming of Christ ushering in this age to come that's at the very end of Daniel's 70th week, okay? So that's where we're going to be really focusing on and have been focusing on is this last seven-year period <coughs> of Daniel's 70th week. And perhaps you remember and recall uh, that we utilized, uh, as I just mentioned, Daniel 9, 27 as the basis for that. And at the beginning of Daniel 9, it says that the Antichrist, I have it right here, at the beginning of that week, the Antichrist makes a firm covenant with the many. I believe personally, that that covenant with the many is a covenant that he makes with the entire world. And it's going to be some kind of a peace offering. The Antichrist has been ramping up a lot of um, warring, wars and rumors of war. You'll hear about these things. It's just the beginning. Um, but most particularly, though, we see in verse 27 of Daniel 9 that, that uh, this covenant that he makes is also and most particularly made with the nation of Israel. Because at the midpoint of this uh, seven-year period of this firm covenant that he makes with the many, and in particular the nation of Israel, we see in the middle of the week, 
So if this is seven years, the middle of the week, it puts it at three and a half years. It says in the middle of that week that this Antichrist figure is going to break that covenant. And it's referred to as an abomination of desolation. In other words, what he does is so abominable. It's an abomination that's going to lead to a great desecration, a great loss of life for many. It's thus called just the abomination of desolation. It's a very, a very, a very abominable act. And we see that very clearly there in Daniel 9, 27. And then we added this one right here, Matthew 24, 15, where Jesus affirms this in the Olivet Discourse. He said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken through Daniel. So Jesus absolutely affirms uh, the reality that at the midpoint, there's going to be a breaking of the covenant. And there's going to be one who makes an abomination that leads to great desecration. Jesus affirmed that. And then in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul he gives more information with regard to the same information. And we see in uh, this passage, this is one of those um, very uh, unique passages. This is an important passage in the timing of the rapture issue. It's, it's a, a passage that is very rich with information. And the Apostle Paul is telling the church there, he's talking to the church, and he tells the church to disregard any teacher who would try to tell them that the rapture and the day of the Lord had already come as if they had missed it. He tells them to pay no mind to that whatsoever, and he tells them to not be deceived, that there would be those, obviously, who must have been already hooves on the ground trying to be deceptive with regard to the timing of the rapture and the coming day of the Lord. And Paul says that's not the case. And so he says there's a, a couple of things that have to happen before that. So I wanted us to just look at this one again briefly because this is one of those very important passages that helps us with this understanding. So here in verse 1 of 2 Thess 2, 1 through 4, Paul to the church of the Thessalonians he says, we request you, brethren, with regard, and you see right here this first piece is dealing with the rapture, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Okay, so you have the rapture there. He says that you be not quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And so we see in this passage the rapture and the day of the Lord put together very tightly like two sides of the same coin by the Apostle Paul. And as you remember, in every one of these views, and this is why, every one of these views recognizes the language there and thus the rapture and the day of the Lord, no matter where you place it, is always together, same day con kind of a concept. And so we see that in the Apostle Paul. But he says here to them, in verse 3, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. And so the it, what's the it clearly contextually would be what? It would be making a reference to the rapture and the day of the Lord. For it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. So here's one of these preconditions or a precursor that the Apostle Paul makes mention of. And then he gives another one. And so the apostasy is going to come first and... And here's where we dovetail back into Daniel. And Paul refers to this abomination that leads to great desolation. And the one who does it, the Antichrist, he refers to him as a man of lawlessness. And there's going to be a revealing of the man of lawlessness first. 
and then he refers to him here as the son of destruction. Again, an abomination that leads to great desolation. And then in verse 4, he gives us more information from what we see in Daniel later in uh, the latter part of Daniel 10 through 12, where it gives this same information regarding the Antichrist. And we're going to get there because we're about to go back to Daniel chapter 10 and finish the book. So we're going to see this, por- this portion right here. You're going to see this again in the book of Daniel. But Paul picks up on this and clearly is pulling this straight from Daniel. And he says that th- what the, what's this abomination going to look like? What is this, th- this great abomination that takes place? Well, it's this Antichrist person, this man of lawlessness, who, who is going to exalt himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. And that's a great abomination. Sitting in the temple of God, making himself out to be like God. Now this Antichrist person, um, I was thinking about this just this week, this Antichrist person, as we see in the book of Revelation, gets authority from the dragon, which is from Satan himself. And I started making this connection, like, well, wasn't it Satan himself who in his great pride and arrogance said, I will be like God. And here Satan has his <coughs> protege, I guess you might say, his antichrist, the antichrist. There have been many antichrists that have gone out into the world, but this is the antichrist. And here he is through this one, seemingly doing the very thing that Satan sought to do all those years ago when he was up in the heavenlies as one of the brilliant angelic beings in the presence of God and he has his his guy now making himself out to be God and thus that is the great abomination so again this passage is a very strategic passage with regard to the timing of the day of the Lord okay about things that need to happen so it would look something like this I've added a little bit of information here and, well, I've added some information because I also dropped in right here this Daniel 7 passage, okay? But um, clearly from Daniel 9, 27, what do we see? It's going to, that this revealing, as Paul said, the revealing of the son of destruction, Daniel clearly articulates that this is in the middle of the week right here. This is when the revealing of the son of destruction is going to pl- take place. And the apostle Paul said that before... He said, don't let anybody make you think the rapture and the day of the Lord has come yet. It hasn't because some things have to happen before that. And two of those is a great apostasy, a great turning away. And the second is this one, the revealing of of the man of lawlessness right here at the midpoint. So again, that's a very technical passage that deals with timing issues relative to this concept of the rapture question. So now in Daniel 9.27, this is a very unique passage, but it, it, it shows us some information that allows us to understand uh, the last three and a half years. Remember from Daniel 7, we saw this again last week, that this Antichrist person, this little horn, is the one that's speaking out. He will speak out against God. And we saw from the Apostle Paul what that's going to look like. He's making himself out to be God. So he's speaking out against not only God, but uh, every so-called God. He's saying there are no other idols or images of, or objects of worship. It's all me. And so he's clearly speaking out against God and wearing down the saints of God for three and a half years. It says in Daniel, 9, in Daniel 7, it's for a time, times, and half a time, which would correlate perfectly with this last three and a half years of this seven-year period. So the wearing down of the saints begins 
when this Antichrist person is revealed and speaks out against God. And so we refer to that as the beginning point of the Great Tribulation. Okay? Now, there's some technical teaching on Daniel 7 that I'm not going to get into here today. I'm going to touch on it briefly at the end of the passage, and I'm just going to wet your whistle just enough to keep you digging individually. Okay? So just, just keep that in mind. I'll probably hit that Daniel 7 again just a little bit later. Okay, so then we moved on and we looked at Matthew 24 right here. Okay? So regarding the church and the Olivet Discourse, what we saw in Matthew 24 is that this great day of tribulation that begins after the midpoint when the Antichrist is revealed, the son of lawlessness gets revealed. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21 through 22 that these days will be cut short. For had these days not been cut short, no life would have survived. And I take that particularly to refer to the lives of God's people that the Antichrist is particularly ferreting out for death. And so Jesus says that these days will be cut short. And this is the point at which we do not know the hour or the time. Because this is the point at which there is going to be a rapture. And we see clearly from Matthew 24, this passage. So we got Matthew 24, 21 and 22 of the Great Tribulation and the days being cut short. So here I'm going to just show you this Matthew 24 passage. And in verse 15, again, we looked at this one previously. Remember? Well, I don't have it here. Right, yeah, right here. Matthew 24, 15. His affirming of the midpoint, right? So we start right here. He says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel. So we see that that takes place at the midpoint without question, Daniel 9, 27. And then following that right here, what do we have? We have great tribulation. Great tribulation following the abomination of desolation as spoken of the prophet Daniel. And he says in 20 and 21, um, had these days, had these days not been cut short, no human would have survived or be saved. But for the sake of the elect, these days get cut short. So Jesus makes reference to the cutting short of these days of tribulation. So clearly we see great tribulation. So we see Antichrist, abomination of desolation at the midpoint, followed by great tribulation, and Jesus saying that that's going to get cut short. And so when you get to verse... 29 of the same chapter, Matthew 24, he says immediately after the tribulation of those days. So where does this take us? Well, this takes us to these days, the time of this great tribulation. So he says immediately after these days, after them, what do we see here? Well, I've got it in blue, and this is what I call cosmic disturbances. So after the days of those tribulations, and and again, the days of those tribulations, they get cut short. So after this, somewhere after this, it gets cut short, and after that, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Again, we call those cosmic disturbances. And then notice what happens following said cosmic disturbances in verse 30. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and will gather his elect. Does that look like rapture? Will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. 
So clearly, in Matthew, we've got the midpoint, abomination of desolation, followed by the great tribulation. After the days of those tribulations, immediately there's going to be cosmic disturbances, followed by a rapture. Matthew 24 lays this out very beautifully. So when you kind of piece this together in a chart, it looks something like this. Okay? So midpoint, man of lawlessness revealed, that abomination that leads to great desolation, which is a great tribulation persecution poured out against God's people. Jesus said that those days are going to get cut short right here. And then when they get cut short, what are you going to see? Cosmic disturbances. And then what followed the cosmic disturbances? It was a rapture. So this is where we're at uh, thus far. And I wanted to add another verse here regarding those cosmic disturbances. Um, and that is from, wait, before I get there, I'm going to do this one first. I, I'm not looking at my notes over here anymore. Um, so picking back up, after cosmic disturbances, I've got this big, this big gap right here, right? Well, when we go back to our chart and we see what happens after the rapture in every one of these views, rapture is followed by the day of the Lord without question, and so we insert the day of the Lord right there following those cosmic disturbances. Because that's clearly what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We saw that without question. Okay? And I've got that one right here, just for our reference point. Okay, now I wanted to add another verse with regard to the cosmic disturbances. And that's from Joel 2, 31. The sun will be, and be the Berean. Go back, broaden out your context on this. I can't do all of that work here today. But uh, that day is coming. But uh, Joel 2.31, the sun will be turned into darkness, <coughs> cosmic disturbances, and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The day of the Lord. This day of the Lord, before it comes, before this great day of the Lord comes, cosmic disturbances. Okay? So we go back here and I simply add Joel 2.3 to some scriptural forensics that give us indication with regard to timing issues. So Joel said cosmic disturbances before the day of the Lord. Okay? Matthew said after great, immediately after the days of that great tribulation, cosmic disturbances followed by the rapture, thus the day of the Lord. And so again, the forensics of scripture just keep leading us down a path of how to understand some very particular uh, scriptures related to the time of the day of the Lord. Now, I want to introduce now to this slide for you the book of Revelation, and in particular, chapter 6. We'll get to chapter 7 a little bit towards the end, but in particular, chapter 6, okay? So I'm going to do a swipe, and all that's going to go away, and you're going to see Revelation 6 with reference to these cosmic disturbances. You ready? I am. Watch this. So I wiped it all clean. I've got six seals right here from the book of Revelation chapter 6. And they're listed. They're numbered. One, two, three, four, five, and 6. And you see the sixth seal is lined up right underneath cosmic disturbances, right? Right. Okay. And so... It says in Revelation 6.12, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. 
And the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the and, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth. That's called cosmic disturbances. As a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. So here with the breaking of the sixth seal, we have cosmic disturbances just like we had in Joel 2.31 and just like we had in our Matthew 24 passage. Oh, I was supposed to show you that while I was reading it. Sorry. I had a slide for you. Just like we had in our Matthew passage, right? Midpoint, great tribulation. After the days of that tribulation... Right here, cosmic disturbances followed by rapture. And so that's what we're going to see in the Revelation passage as well as we make our way through these scrolls. So in the sixth scroll, um, as made mention of there, in the, in the sixth scroll here, we saw these cosmic disturbances as detailed in Revelation 6, 12, and 13. Okay, so that would probably tell us then, if we went this direction with regard to the scrolls, we would need to probably find somewhere in these scrolls something that must then look somewhat like a great tribulation that would then precede these cosmic disturbances, and we're going to get to what happens with regard to these cosmic disturbances in, in the sixth seal here in just a minute. But before we do that, let's take a look and see if we go back towards the... Uh, the fourth scroll and the fifth scroll, let's see if we have something that perhaps resembles a great tribulation. Notice what we have here. Wow, I think I've lost, I, th I think it is, uh, my, my PowerPoint is vanishing on me. The words have been eaten up right off the page. That's what you call satanic attack right there. <laughs> but this is a Bible church, and what do we do at a Bible church? We have Bibles! Now, I spoil you sometimes because I just drop it right up here, but this is an, an occasion where you're going to need your, really need your Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 6, verse 7, where we have the beginning of the fourth seal because my PowerPoint somehow got completely eaten up in the cloud. I wonder if they're evaluating what you put in the cloud and then messing it up for us Christians. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Just being silly. So Revelation chapter 6, well, and just be ready because when I get to somewhere about verse 12, looks like I lost you. When the Lamb broke this, the fourth seal, so we're moving backwards from the sixth seal, we're going back now to the fourth seal right here. Still in chapter 6 of Revelation, when the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I look and behold an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. So there's the fourth seal that is broken. And so when we look at the fourth seal, we see that, that this fourth seal is broken buttressed up right against where I place the fourth seal. You may place it somewhere differently. Where I place the fourth seal, it's buttressed right up against the midpoint. 
when the revealing of the man of lawlessness kicks in and makes himself out to be the son of God, and then a great tribulation proceeds. Remember the book of Matthew? Man of lawlessness revealed, great tribulation that precedes that man of lawlessness being revealed. So following that, there is a great tribulation. So the way, I've, the way I manage these seals is from the first seal to the fourth seal, I have some kind of a, some kind of a movement of climactic movement of activities of the Antichrist that's revealed through each one of the breakings of the seals and the, and the terror that comes with the breaking of each one. Now, the first one, there's no terror with it. This is when he sets his covenant, with a firm covenant with the many, making himself out to be basically like the world's Messiah. Like, I'm going to take care of all of you. If you have my mark, if you take my mark, you'll be able to do business, buy goods and wares and have jobs, have your houses, your transportation. I'm just spitballing here. But things are going to be apparently good, but he breaks that. And so the first seal is just him on a white horse who's an overcomer and a conqueror, which is what he was. There was a lot of war going on in the earth, and he elevated himself, as we saw in Daniel chapter 7, as being the one world leader of the time that's going to be making his stand against Christ and his armies at the Battle of Armageddon at the very end of this seven-year period. So he starts off as being this really good guy who's now, after all this warring, is wanting to kind of help settle things down. So that's the first seal. Read it. It gives you like a sentence. A white horse overcoming and conquering. It's like he's done some great things. But then by the time you get to the second, third, and fourth, you see a ramping up of his activities that I believe that we see in the fourth seal here leads to um, being people being killed with the sword. There's going to be famine and pestilence and other things that are happening. And I think most in particular, I, particularly, I believe that that persecution is going to be against the saints of God, as we have seen from Daniel 7, as we, as we saw in several passages there in Daniel chapter 7. So the fourth seal indeed gives us a vision of something that looks like what Jesus was talking about when he said in verse 9, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. That's the fourth seal. So when you get to the fifth seal, it looks like that. And that looks really bad. So let's look at the fifth seal together. In verse 9, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. Now, a lot of people refer to the sixth seal as a martyr seal because of the language that we see here, which fits very well with the saints of God being killed as a result of the persecution, the great tribulation of the Antichrist. Now, I mentioned this last week, but has the church been under persecution since its inception? Absolutely. We have a trail of blood from the martyrs for over the last 2,000 years. But this great tribulation persecution is a persecution such as the world has never seen. A persecution against Christians as the world has never seen before or ever will see again. And so I believe that the mass killing that is being talked about here in the toll is taking place is against Christian martyrs. Because perhaps you remember, it, as I just read this in Matthew 24, 9, notice they're going to deliver you to tribulation which Jesus already said comes after the midpoint, and then they're going to be delivering you over for death. But why? Because of my name. 
What was one of the things that the Apostle Paul said had to happen first before the rapture in the day of the Lord was a great apostasy. So when clinging to Jesus' name leads to either imprisonment and or death, it's going to make it easy for people to want to apostate. That just simply means to turn away from the faith, to turn away from following Jesus. It's not going to be convenient. It won't, it, there's going to come a time when it's not convenient at all. In America, it might be convenient, it might not be convenient, but even around the world in many places, it's not convenient. Just go over to Tehran and go try to start a donut shop to the glory of Jesus Christ. See how well that goes. So we're in a little time bubble over here in America, and so the American gospel tends to look very wealth, health, prosperity-oriented because we live in this bubble of human history that's so unique and different than most places on planet earth and it's easy to get confused that that's the real gospel I mean after all look at all this great prosperity right that's got to be just the pouring out in the great blessings of God well I'm not going to say that God doesn't prosper and bless people who work hard and are, are putting him first seek first my kingdom and all these other things will be added unto you but there is a day coming that if you cling to the name of Jesus this is what happens now Back to the fifth seal, this martyr seal, this, the, the, the lamb broke the seal. I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained, just like Jesus said. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each one of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So when we get to, I'll kind of parlay that one with Jesus again. Because of my name and what did it say right here there was two more I added two more right here in the fifth seal see I had this on my slide it was really beautiful you should have seen my slides this morning they were just glorious how this happened I don't know Be, oh right here the testimony they maintained verse 9 the souls of those who had been slain because because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And so that's where I'm just saying that's the same thing that we see here. Because of my name, we have three kind of because statements. Why is all this taking place? Because of the testimony that they had maintained, they, Christians refusing to take the mark of the beast, the mark of this world leader who made himself out to be like God at the midpoint. They're like, nope, not doing that. Uh, so because of the testimony they maintained, because of the word of God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. My glory I will, show with, I will share with none other because of the word of God and the impart of that in our lives and because of the name of Christ. This is why these martyred souls are seen here underneath, underneath the altar. But most in particular, most in particular, let me, nope, I didn't get one of those. Not one of those came through. That's really disappointing because you really need to, this is, a, this is such an important piece in the fifth seal. There's some very particular and important information that we need to have ferreted out well in our thinking with regard to 
the day of the, the, the rapture and the coming day of the Lord, right? Because the day of the Lord is what? The day of the Lord is when God pours his wrath out on the entire earth, right? And I told you last week and maybe the week before that, there's a need. We need to, let me see if I have it here. Yeah, we need to decouple great tribulation persecution of the Antichrist from the day of the Lord wrath. The view that I held for the longest views this entire seven-year period as the day of the Lord wrath. And there's some very particular information in the fifth seal that also adds to my movement away from that view into the view that I articulate now. Notice, if you have your Bible, you need to see this in the fifth seal, beginning in verse 10. So these martyrs are under the altar, of, these souls are under the altar because they've been slain, okay? Verse 10. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, so contextually, who are they? The they. And they cried out. <clears throat> It's these martyred saints, without question. This is who this is. These believers who have been killed during the time of the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist persecution. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, here's what they said, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain? How long will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Lord, when are you going to pour your wrath out? against these individuals who are up there killing us, your children. So we have to ask, is the persecution of the Antichrist the same as the day of the wrath of the Lord? And I think clearly we see forensics in the scriptures that shows us that those are not the same things. And within, verse, within the fifth seal, verse 10 and 11, we see very particular information where we see that these saints are asking God, how long are you going to continue to wait before you pour your wrath out on these people and avenge our blood and your name? Because Jesus says, because of my name. They were clinging to his name. They were clinging to the testimony of Christ and to the word of God. And so right here in the fifth seal, these martyred souls are saying, when is your wrath coming? There's a lot of persecution that's going on up there, but when are you going to pour out your wrath? And then in verse 11, and there was given to each one of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been killed, would be completed also. So the divine voice is... Not yet. A little, a little longer. There's a few more of your brethren that are going to be martyred just like you were before I show up with the great day of the wrath of the Lord. Reminds me of a movie, and I don't often parlay movies in, but I like this one scene a lot. And it reminds me a little bit of kind of this not yet piece. And it's in the movie Iron Man when he's in the cave and he's building from scraps this first suit of armor of his. You remember that one? And he comes walking out all clunked up with all these big, huge pieces of metal. And, and they're just they're just blasting him. And bullets are just binking off of him all over the place. Have you seen it? Were you allowed to see that? When I see some no's, like, no, that's... Maybe I shouldn't even tell you I saw that movie. I don't know. Mind trouble? Elder Royce? I don't know. But, um, and then all of a sudden, what does he say? What does he say? 
my turn. Yeah. The wrath of the Lamb, he's saying, not yet. But at the sixth seal, he's going to say, my turn. And the wrath of God is going to be poured out in the avenging of the lives of his children in a way that this world has never seen the wrath of God poured out. Now, God's wrath is poured out from heaven against all ungodliness and the suppression of truth all the time. But it won't be like it is in this time. There's going to be a, a loss of human life and sinners who have rebelled against God that this world has never, ever seen. So the persecution of the Antichrist must be decoupled from the day of the Lord's wrath. Without question, the biblical forensics say it must. I humbly present that. I'm willing to accept other offers, though. I'm, I love everybody. Okay, so are you following me? Where, where are we at? I got lost in Iron Man. Because he's like, not yet. Not yet. But, man, when you get to the sixth seal, he's going to say, my turn. So let's go back to the sixth seal. Let me show you this. Ah, it's eaten up, too. It got ate up. Okay, chapter 6, 12 through 17. Notice this. I can get you through part of 17. Wait a second. Yeah, that gets you right there. Notice this. I looked when he broke the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake. By the way, I didn't circle that. I have no idea where that circle came around the great earthquake. I did not put that there. I don't know what's happened to my PowerPoint. There must be a bug in the system. Hey, everybody, there's a great earthquake. Like That's like a, a main teaching point right here or something. I, I, I don't know how that happened. But here we have the cosmic disturbances. And maybe I'll lose some words here, so I'm going to go up to verse 12. And there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe fig shaken by a great wind. So we've already seen right here, it's all in the green, what we call cosmic disturbances. And then verse 14, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. You ever sung that song? The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The Lord shall descend. This is where they get this passage because this is a rapture passage. So what do we see here in Revelation 6 in the sixth seal? We have in the fifth seal, it's like, not yet. My turn's coming. Sixth seal opens, cosmic disturbances. Just like we saw with Joel, just like we saw with Matthew. Cosmic disturbances followed by a rapture, just like we saw in Matthew. In verse 15, then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves. Why all of a sudden this great fear falling upon earth, you think? And among the rocks of the mountains, verse 16, and they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. When those clouds were rolled back like a scroll, they could see, and they knew he was about to say, my turn. They said to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Mm -mm -mm. His turn. 
totally lost over here. I had some really good notes I wanted to say to you. So what do we see here in Revelation and the seals? Fourth and fifth seal clearly articulate a zenith of the revealing of the Antichrist, followed by great tribulation. For the church these days, and I use that phrase for, for the church, that's an important distinction. For the church these days get cut short. And why do I say that? Is everybody on earth getting raptured? I don't think so. So for the church, these days get cut short. Church gets raptured. I added a little cool picture right here. You see that? I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away. Does it show up over there? Yeah, there it is. So rapture of the church. Revelation 6. Cosmic disturbances followed. These cosmic disturbances with rapture. And then my turn, the day of the wrath of the Lamb of God. Isn't this great? And it's this wrath of the Lamb there in Revelation 6.14 when the clouds are parted and rolled back like a scroll. When he comes back for his church, he cuts those days short, he raptures them. And there's some other particular things that happen along the way. But you remember, it was the Apostle Paul who told us the Thessalonian church, he told the church, thus he told us, he was telling them in particular to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. It's important to distinguish the persecution of Antichrist from the wrath of the Lamb. If you mingle that all together and you make it all the same thing, then you say that we shouldn't have to go through any persecution of the Antichrist, wrongly assuming that the persecution of the Antichrist is the wrath of God. And some may say, well, it's the wrath, it's God who allows the Antichrist, Satan, and the, to ultimately do what they do. So in, so in essence, it's ultimately God's wrath. It's not God's wrath. We were spared, we're to, we're to be rescued from God's wrath. The wrath and the persecution of the Antichrist is being poured out against God's people who are said to be rescued from the wrath, just like it says right here. There's going to be great tribulation. It gets cut short, a rapture when, during the time of the cosmic disturbances. And then he says, it's my turn. And then from 1 Thess 5, 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, for his wrath, the wrath of the Lamb, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we put all these things together, it looks something like this right here, which you've been looking at. I'm not going to reiterate every bit of this. I've said these things multiple times for a reason so they can sink in. I just want you to know where I've, where I, where, where has Pastor Ben at? This is where Pastor Ben's at after looking very closely at a lot of these passages and reevaluating uh, this ever important topic. Now, this isn't all, but I told you I'm finishing right here, right? Th this isn't it. I mean, um, I could have done something like this for you, okay? And that's probably not even all of it, but this is kind of essential. <laughs> and it looks like a whole lot, but when you pare it down and you look at it and you figure it out, it's really not much at all. This looks like so much, doesn't it? But it's really utterly very simple. These first three and a half years, there's going to be the church living through this, there's going to be the Israel of God living through this. There's going to be a remnant that God is preserving and nourishing out in the wilderness during the persecution of the Antichrist. 
there's a nation of Israel that's going through here, and then there's the nations of the world. It gets to the midpoint, this great tribulation. Church will go through the first portion of that. It gets cut off by Jesus when he returns, so the cosmic disturbances that lead to the rapture. And then at that point, the church is up in heaven just waiting for the second advent of the Lord, which is going to come back at the very end. But the Israel of God um, isn't going to be raptured with the church because they're not part of the church. The Israel of God is a remnant that God is going to reveal. And had we had time to go into Revelation 7, and we don't, you would see in Revelation 7 there are two people that are particularly spared from and, and rescued from the wrath of the Lamb. So after all of chapter 6, the end of chapter 6, the wrath of the Lamb, the day is here. The seventh, before the seventh seal is, is cracked open in, in uh, chapter 8 of Revelation, Chapter 7 of Revelation says there's two groups that will be spared from the wrath of the Lamb, and one is the church, and you see them in the heavenlies there in chapter 7. Who is this great throng of people? It's those who have been rescued from the great tribulation. It says that right there in chapter 7. And then there's another group that's made mention of in chapter 7, and it's the 144,000 Jews. And those Jews were individuals who were preserved and nourished in the wilderness during the first three and a half years. We see this most particularly. Go read Revelation chapter 12. Just go read it. And if, you, and if you don't have the ability to parse things very finely in Revelation chapter 12, it's a very difficult chapter to understand. But we see that God is going to be nourishing that, that remnant during the first three and a half years. But at the, after the sixth seal, after the sixth seal, Jesus is going to show up on Mount Zion, and he's going to gather that redeemed that, that 144,000, he's going to put a mark of God, a seal of God on their foreheads. And he's going to preserve them through the wrath of the Lamb. So that 144,000. So that's why this nation, I, I have the Israel of God here is that group. They go through the great tribulation. But when the rapture happens, they don't go up. They go, they, they go through the day of the Lord, but they are rescued through that time. So there's so much here to learn and to understand so that we can be the best witnesses we can be now to understand, do we, do we really believe this Bible stuff? Do we really believe that Jesus is coming again? And what about all these particular verses that say something? Should we even bother about trying to understand these things? What does it matter anyways after all? Because if you're right or I'm right or you're wrong or I'm wrong, what does it really matter in the end? Well, perhaps it gives us some impetus in some ways of living holy, godly lives. It should. And of sharing our faith most effectively whenever we get opportunities to do that. So I've got one more slide for you. No, not that one. I don't want to go there because I don't have time. And nope, it's not that one. It's this one. <laughs> At least that slide didn't get eaten up. But this doesn't mean to be continued next week. I'm going into Daniel chapter 10 next week. But we have uh, made a, a decision and concluded that we are going to offer uh, a class on one of our distinctives, which is premillennial theology. They say, while the iron's hot, strike. It would be great to be able to go through some of this information in more of a seminary-esque styled class where you're sitting at a table and you can actually raise a hand and ask questions. We don't allow questions in here. It could get out of hand real quick, and I'd have to have Bruce escort you out or something. <laughs> All right? But we're going to have a class and we can sit at tables and we can look very closely. Are you starting to see the importance of looking very closely at the scriptures? Especially when you say, well, the scripture, the Lord didn't give us a lot. Well, he didn't give us a lot. But what did he give us? And whatever he did give us enough, we, we 
we can look at that. In 1 Thessalonians 5, I don't have time to put this passage up because this is my last passage right here, screenshot that is. Go read 1 Thessalonians 5. I think it's the entirety of the chapter. You know, that whole, con- that whole concept of being caught unawares like a thief in the night, that's not for the church. We're not of the night, we're of the day. It's going to take them unawares. It's going to take unbelievers unaware. Unbelievers are going to be, I don't have time. I almost, went, I almost did this and started explaining some more. I don't have time. You need to come to that class, don't you? I'm telling you, it's going to be fantastic. So I'm going to send out an email this week with more information regarding that. We'll drop a sign-up sheet in the, in the foyer out there, and it's going to be twice a month. Um, so more detail and more information to come. We're striking while the iron's hot. If you have interest in these, to- in these issues and this topic, we're going to offer you something that's more like a seminary setting so that we can learn the word of God together. Amen? Listen, if you're not here this morning, if, you're, if you are not here this morning, if you're not here this morning, then you've been raptured. Okay. What was I going to say now? What was I going to say, Ben? I don't know. If you were here, and you are here, but what was I going to say after that? It was really good. Slipped my mind. Oh, here's what I was going to say. If you're here this morning, and you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've just sat through this message, you must be thinking, what in the world did I just sit through? I mean, even believers who have kind of rumbled around the edges on some of this stuff is going, well, that's, that's a deep dive. That's a lot to drink on a, on a particular Sunday. Well, that's what we do here is we just teach the scriptures. We don't worry about how long it takes because until the Lord comes, what, what are we in a hurry about, right? Is anybody, is anybody in a great hurry to just, that's, what, that's, what, that's what education is. It's not just three points and a pop and you move on. And it's, no, we, we're here to learn the word of God. But if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, let me tell you, you need to know him. Because these days are coming. And I would love to meet with you today, right down here or in the back. Just before you leave, find me and say, I really need to give consideration of what it looks like to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I'd love to have that conversation with you or any of the elders would. Pastor Matt, Brother Royce, Nathan, is Nathan here? Nathan's over there teaching. So don't leave today if you've got questions about how to have a relationship with the Lamb. So when he says, my turn... You're already gone. Let's pray.